This morning, before we get started, we, I had initially planned a break from the book of Romans because um, last week, so last week I did a separate, and this week I was going to do just a single sermon because next week is our Thanksgiving Sabbath, which is a really special Sabbath, which we hope you would invite your friends and your family. It's one of those days where people will come to church that normally will not come to church. So that's next Sabbath. And um, Pastor Brett will be leading us in worship that day in terms of, of the sermon. Um, the reason for that is my sister's getting married, and so she says, I can't be late. So I'll be here for a little bit, but Pastor Brett is more than qualified to be able to lead us through the word. Um, but of course, it's always a special Sabbath. So that's what we'll be doing. And then we'll be taking a break from Romans until the beginning of January. And the reason we're doing that is because the Christmas or the Advent season has, is upon us. And so we're going to do something special for that, as we do every year. And then we'll pick up the, the Roman series again in January and go another, I don't know, 15 weeks, <laughs> uh, 12 months, um, which we've been enjoying. So let's bow our heads and, um, and ask for the Spirit to guide us. Heavenly Father, there are things going um, for, for some of us, a million miles a minute or a second in our minds. And some of us are thinking about what we have to do on Monday or Tuesday and I just pray now, Lord, that you would silence all of those distractions in our minds. That you would help us to be receptive to your spirit and to the word. That where it is challenging, Lord, your spirit would give us something to hold on to. And that you would allow us to continually be transformed into the people you've always wanted us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 6. We're just going to jump right into this this morning. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. Pastor Brett kind of got us through 14, but I'm going to overlap a little bit, kind of like on your favorite television shows where it says previously on this television show, previously on this sermon stage. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. Therefore, if you, had your, if you, have a, if you underline your Bible, I would underline this. Do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members, which is your, it's like a Bible way of saying, no longer allow the inner workings of yourself, so like the members of your body, so every part of you. Don't let, don't present those things that make you who you are to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those that have been brought from death to life, and present yourself, everything about you, to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. I'm going to keep reading. What then, Paul says, should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And what's the answer to that? No. By no means. Paul has just made the point to not present yourselves. Do not allow yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your theories, your preconceptions, your presuppositions, your thoughts. Do not allow that. Do not give the devil a foothold so that then you can live a life that is persuaded and molded by sin. He says, do not present yourself. What, what, is it, what is exactly what he says? Do not present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness. Paul, 
is saying you have a choice. You always have a choice. You can either choose instrument of wickedness, or you, can, or you can choose to be an instrument of righteousness. You can either choose to follow the path that God has laid out, you can choose to live by the scriptures and what Jesus has taught us, or you can choose to live by some other way. If you choose the way of God, it will lead to righteousness, and you will be an instrument of righteousness, which means that everyone you come in contact with will actually feel as though perhaps a little bit of Jesus was just sprinkled in their presence. Or if you choose to live a life of wickedness, following your own way or any other way, then people will always be like, there's something not right there. Paul is very... Every one of you who is here this morning, everyone who has read the book of Romans has a choice that they have to make. They will either choose God and the path that God has chosen for you, or you will choose some other path. When Paul asks, what then should we sin because we are not under law but under grace, he says, by no means. You might be able to say this in today's languages. So are you saying we should live however we want and do whatever we want and sin as much as we want because we know that Jesus' death on the cross forgives us? And the answer to that is no. To live a life and continue to go on living how you are living is to misunderstand what it means that Jesus gave his life for you. Paul makes it clear, abundantly clear, time and time again, you either choose God or you choose something or someone else. And so we'll continue here. Do you, know, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? The battle, and I don't know if I can stress this enough, the battle isn't between whether you will choose God or Satan. Because let's get real, most of us are freaked out by Satan. The way he's ex experienced in shows, that's why when those scary trailers come on, we kind of close our ears and our, or we kind of cover our ears and close our eyes because we don't want any of those images. Because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of weak when it comes to that. If I even see one image, I have nightmares about that one image for days. I don't, you know, I sleep with my lights on if I get scared. It's not true when I was younger, maybe. But even these images are so powerful. So let's get honest. Even people that don't believe in God, I don't really think they're having conversations with each other and be like, man, don't you think the devil is such a guy? Most people probably don't do that. The way it actually breaks down, you either choose God and the path that God has chosen for you, and you look at Scripture and you allow Scripture to inform back with people, how you feel about people, how you, how you um, interact with your husbands, with your wife. You either use the scripture to actually mold you and allow the Holy Spirit to use it to shape the masterpiece that God has created you to be. So you either choose that or you choose yourself. It's not a, it's not a choice between God and Satan. It's a choice between whether you're choosing God or whether you are choosing yourself. See, the biggest deception that the devil has isn't just to get you to stop believing in God. 
Even the demons believe in God. But it's to take your eyes away from God long enough that you can veer off the path that leads to God. For the devil, all he's trying to do is to knock you off that little road that you're walking down and take your eyes away from God and turn them towards yourself. The battle that Paul is talking about here is about whether you will choose the life that leads to God. That leads only to your own desires, your own wants, and your own passions. One road is narrow, the one that allows you to keep your eyes on God. God doesn't say there's a hundred million different paths to me. He goes, There's one. Will you choose that? But the road is wide that leads to everything else. What you become a slave to will undoubtedly shape how you live your life, how you treat others and how you see the world. Some people choose to become enslaved to money. Not just money, but material possessions. Look, we live in a country where we have an abundance of everything. I mean, you don't even have to have money to buy things. You can buy things on credit. So we have an abundance. And not only that, but we've been, I've been tricked by the devil to think that I need the newest technology all the time, so I know I have to be conscious and say, Lord, help me to be content with what I have. So this is my own personal, you know, the materialism. I become a part of my culture, and so for me, I have to continually surrender and say, I don't need that next new thing. But for some of us, it's the, you know, we live in a world that is so full with abundance of material possessions that we want those things. And sometimes we will work and live our entire lives trying to just get that next thing, the bigger house, the nicer car, the bigger amount in our checking accounts, the bigger checks from our jobs. And we work towards that because we feel like if I only get that, then life will be better. The ironic thing about that is, Um, some of the people I know that have money that aren't, not from this church, so I'm not, you know. But there's people that I've been talking to who are further along the journey of life that I am on, and they say, you know, the funny thing is that um, one particular person says, I've been extremely successful. I have more than I can spend, and what I'm finding is that I'm trying to get rid of more things in my life. I'm trying to live a simpler life. That's countercultural. That's what it means to be a Christian, to, be, to, be, to allow yourself to be sustained by the God who says that man and women live by the bread of life. Some of us are, are enslaved to our technology. Well, I'm preaching to the pastor this morning. <laughs> Except the one time I did need to listen to my phone, I was dead asleep when Kurt Mountain had his double lung transplant. Remember you guys called and I didn't hear the phone. And like 7 a.m., I look at my phone, and I hear this message, and I was like, the last one to the party. (laughs) But sometimes we allow our technology, the things that are supposed to make our lives easier, sometimes make our lives more difficult. Sometimes, and I think the most dangerous thing, because you can get freedom easily from not buying things, right? You know, marry the right person, and they won't let you spend money, and that's great, you know? If you don't have money, you can't buy it, so it's easy to break that. Technology, you can, you know, learn to shut your phone off and you can get victory over that. But one of the things that is the hardest to get victory over are our emotions. For many people, they may be, they, they, you guys may be laughing at me like, aha, pastor, we know your secrets, you know, materialism and technology. 
But emotions is one of those things that is really hard for us to get our freedom from. Because you will know that if you feel strongly about something, there's very little you can do to change your mind about that. And you see, what Paul is saying is, look, you're either choosing God and you're allowing Scripture to inform how you will live your life, or you are going to choose yourself, your wants, your desires, your opinions, your thoughts. But the Bible tells us that if you choose yourself, you are ultimately going to lose. All you have to do is look at the Bible in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, in the story of the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, there's a serpent that comes to them and says, eat of this tree, and when you eat of it, you will be like God. Were they choosing the devil? No. Adam and Eve weren't choosing the devil. They were choosing themselves and what they wanted They wanted to be like God. And it's very easy for us to be fooled into thinking that when we choose our own wants and our desires, that that's okay. But the truth is, and the Bible tells us, and Jesus is clear, that when we choose to follow God, and we choose to live a life that is submitted to God, that we will no longer present ourselves as instruments of wickedness, but we will present ourselves as instruments of righteousness, that the life that we live will be pointing our fingers to God always and trying to reflect the goodness of God. The Bible tells us, rather Jesus tells us in Matthew, that in everything do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. And now this is, it was just in context, but this is the passage I really want to focus on. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. It isn't always easy to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, it's not very often easy to be a follower of Jesus. Because if you read the scriptures, and specifically if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what Jesus teaches is actually hard to be a Christian. How many of you like to forgive people that have hurt you? Any hands raised? You like to forgive people that hurt you badly? It's not something we want to do. How many of you, you've been hurt by someone, and your natural reaction is just to turn the other cheek and say, hey, hit me again? (laughs) How easier for you you if you lend someone some money and they don't pay you back, and a year later they ask you for more money. Is that easy? No, you see, what we find is that Jesus, (laughs) here's the funny thing, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments, and then he makes them a hundred times more difficult to follow. You know, Jesus, so so when we we look at this living by grace, it's because Paul knows, dude, you're never going to live fully into what Jesus was wanting you to, and that's why we need God's grace, so that he is patient with us as we continue to try to get better and live more fully into the biblical narrative, which is following the way of Jesus. And, And Jesus says, look, following God isn't always easy, and it's the narrow road because it requires a lot of sacrifice. Sacrifice your desires, sacrifice your wants, sacrifice your opinions, your emotions, sacrifice your technology, sacrifice your money, sacrifice all of these things that are getting in the way of a relationship with God. And that's not easy, because it's not just get rid of stuff, but then it's fulfill yourself with love and generosity and compassion and morality. Fill yourself with what God wants for you. 
But then he says, but the, the, the other path, it's wide, and it leads in so many different directions. You know if you're on the path towards Christ, and you know when you're on the wide, on the wide and destructive road. Jesus would continue to say this. Someone was trying to trick Jesus. It was these religious, like, leaders. They were called lawyers, but they're not lawyers like we think today. They were, like, um, experts in the law, which were the first five books of the Bible, not of, like, civil and that kind of stuff. Not, not like Josh. Like, not a lawyer like that, but a, like a theologian. And so this theologian comes to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And so instantly it's like, Wait, Jesus, did you forget what the commandments were? But he goes on, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor, which is everyone, as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the what? The law and the prophets. Jesus says, if you, because Jesus knows, like, man, these people can never follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. Jesus is probably like, those are the easiest ones. You know, I'm not asking you to follow 633 other laws. Can you just try to start with 10? And then Jesus says, fine, let me narrow it down even more. Love God and do everything you do for God and love others and treat others the way God would treat them. He says the entire Old Testament and the, and the books of Moses are summed up in love God and love others. Now, if you've been a lifelong Adventist, you would know that Jesus knew that in these two commandments some are summed up the Ten Commandments. What do we know? That the first four commandments are about loving who? And the second set of six are about loving who? And Jesus knows it, and he's like, you know, and probably this is Jesus knowing what they're trying to get at, so he's probably messing with them too, because he's like, I'm not going to get into a theological debate with these guys. They're not going to change their mind. So Jesus is like, love God and love others. Now, we know this verse, but it is so difficult to live by. It is extremely difficult to love to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and to love others the way God would love them. This goes back to the narrow road. If you are spending all of your energy and your thoughts and your mind on trying to love God and then listen to what God is showing you and then loving others, if you spend your entire days doing that, I guarantee you that you will 100% be on that narrow path that leads to life. But it's when we take our eyes off of God, it's when we take our eyes off of Jesus that we then have this easy way of veering into the different lane. Case in point. Oh, man, I shouldn't. Do I, can I get, like, arrested, Josh, if I admit to something? Like driving and texting? I don't know. Do I? All right, go. So the other day, probably a church member called me. <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> I was driving, and I was like, oh, let me respond to this. And I veered from one lane to the other. It was literally like a second. I took my eyes off the road for a second, and I was in the lane next to me. Luckily, there were no cars there. But it's like, man, this is God showing me, like, keep your eyes fixed. And we can apply that to spirituality and say, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the road that God has carved out for you. Immerse yourself daily in the Word, because the Holy Spirit will use the Word to inform how you live your life life. God says, follow, follow these two simple commandments. You want to be a, if you want to be, 
If you want to be an instrument of righteousness, you will follow these two simple commandments, love God and love others. Because when we get to eternity, you won't have any of the physical possessions you have now, I don't think. I don't think. Because I haven't been there, so I don't know. You're not going to take your house or your cars. You probably won't even have your Bible in heaven because then you made it, like you passed the test. So I'm assuming there won't be a Bible because we don't want to remember all the sin and the, and the deterioration of life before. I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't tell us. We won't need the Bible because we'll have God in our presence. So that kind of... But what the Bible is clear is that when you get to eternity, all, you are, all that's going to be there is you, each other, and God. People and God. That is why the church is such a powerful place for us to begin to experience the kingdom of heaven. The church is the place where we can give witness to the grace that God has bestowed upon us, and it gets us practicing as to how to love one another, because when we get to heaven, that's all we know is going to be there. I know we always talk about, well, we're going to eat fruit all day long. I hope not. I hope there's (laughs) pastries and stuff like that. No animals have to die for pastries, I hope. We have each other. And all Paul is saying is, look, man, you, if you choose God, it will affect every relationship you have, and you have to keep your eyes focused on God. So let's keep going. We're, gonna, we're wrapping up. And so then Paul picks up again. He says, For just as you once presented yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater iniquity, he goes, once you weren't saved, once you didn't know the message, once you were just doing what you wanted, now present yourself as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. Paul is saying, look, pick a side. Either pick God or pick something else. But here's what's going to happen. If you pick God, life, he's going to take you down this path and it won't be easy. But its end is sanctification and eternal life. Or choose yourself. Because we're not choosing the devil. Remember, we're not choosing the devil. I don't think any of us are choosing the devil. But he's saying, or choose yourself. But if you do, you will be used by the wicked one as an instrument of wickedness. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, he's saying now you have freedom over the penalty of sin. You have freedom over these destructive habits. He goes, you have been freed, and now you are enslaved to God. And listen to this. The advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. Notice he doesn't say the advantage is that everything will be easy for you on this earth. The advantage is that you will never get sick. The advantage is that you will live to be 150 or 900. He doesn't say that the advantage is going to be something that we think of as great. What Paul says is if you submit yourself to God, the advantage is what? Sanctification. That's a big theological word that means that if you submit yourself to God, God will do the hard work in your life to free you of the sins that keep pulling you back. If you submit yourself to God, if you truly submit yourself, then God will begin to do the work of getting rid of these evil desires. God will give you freedom even over the strongest of sins in your life. That is the power of God. The end is eternal life. And this is how he ends chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. We all, all of us, every single one of us in this place, deserve to die. If we believe what the Bible says is true, and I do, 
And if we believe that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then the penalty of our sins, what we deserve is death. And what Paul has been trying to say for six chapters and what we've been going over for 12 weeks is that that penalty, the legal penalty, you no longer have to pay. Paul doesn't say you instantly become perfect, you instantly get rid of all this sin. He says, no, step one, you no longer have to die for your sins. But then he says, but if you submit yourself to God, he will require of you a great sacrifice, one where you must keep your eyes focused on God and follow that narrow road, one where if you love God and love others, you will maintain yourself on that road because God knows that the only way you can truly love other people is if you have understood the love that God has for you. And God knows you stay connected to me and you be grace and love to others. You will stay on this path because you won't have time for all this other stuff. You won't have time for worrying about yourself if you're focused on me. And if you submit to God, the advantage you get is that God will do the heavy lifting in your life and he will help you to get freedom from the destructive, sinful habits in your lives. Because let's get honest, how many of you have had sins in your life? That, and don't raise your hands, but how many of you have had sins in your life, things in your life that you just can't get victory over? And then one day you have victory and it was nothing that you did and all you can say is, that was the Lord. That was God reaching his hand into my life and giving me victory over this. And that's what God does. But the thing is, the only thing you can do is be open to God doing that in your life. The only thing you can do is be open and keep your eyes on, on God, keep your eyes on that prize of eternal life, sanctification, being thankful that you no longer have to die that eternal death. See, one of the reasons that I love, and I'll be closing up with this, one of the reasons that I love one of the things I love about the Seventh-day Adventist theology is, is what we understand of what happens when someone dies. Is that they're asleep. They don't know it. They've, they've, their mind is in this unconscious, undreaming sleep. But we know that one day we will see Bill Jeffries again. But not only will we see him as we, I've only known him in a wheelchair, but I will know him more fully in the transformed and transfigured body that God will give us all. And so one of the things I love about our theology is that we can have hope that one day God will renew all of us. He will get rid of all the sin and all of the disease and all of the decay. But what he asks of us is today is submit yourself to me. Allow the scriptures to guide your life. And God says, I will do the heavy lifting of sanctification because he knows we can't. And if you allow God to do that, you will stay on the path that will lead to all eternity connecting with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're always or often challenged when we come to the scriptures. We don't like when the Bible calls us to do things that might be uncomfortable. But this morning, Lord, as we finish this chapter 6, we know that so oftentimes we choose ourselves over you. And this morning I claim for my brothers and my sisters here this morning that you would give us victory over ourselves. That you would allow us to fully submit to the rule, to your rule in our lives. That you would use each one of us as instruments of righteousness and not of wickedness. Lord, may we be so committed to you that all people will see when they see us 
as a reflection of your love and your mercy and your grace. And for those who are here this morning, Lord, whom you have given victory over sin, we praise you and we thank you for that. But for those who are here this morning, Lord, who are wrestling and they've tried their whole life trying to get rid of something, in the name of Jesus we pray that you would free them from that sin so that they would be able to fully connect with you and that they would be able to experience the fullness of life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's definitely not easy to, to give your life completely over to God, and it's a choice that you need to make every day. It's not a decision you make one time in church. And the song we're singing as, as a response to the sermon is, is a prayer. It's, it's expressing a desire of your heart. It, and it's a very simple song. I pray that you join us as we sing, Lord, I, I give you my heart. I give you everything. This is my desire to honor you, Lord. Amen.